I want to thank Chris for praying, thank the praise team for leading us in worship. Of course, I want to thank all of you for being here. Uh, hopefully, you've had a great time in Sunday school. I'm excited about our, our service today, about we're about to open up God's Word. Hopefully, you're ready to study it. Hopefully, you're ready to, for you to uh, apply it to your lives. And so, with that in mind, go ahead and get them out now. Go ahead and get your copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to continue to work our way as we've done so through this letter Paul has wrote to the believers and today we come to verses 17 through 21. Well on September 28, 2018, Victoria and I embarked on one of our greatest journeys together as a couple. I did the stats on this and I think they're mostly right but in total we traveled approximately 20,000 miles Uh, We lived in another continent. We lived in another country for approximately 30 days. Uh, We rode on a plane. Get this. We rode on a plane for approximately 50 hours in length. Uh, Most importantly, we came back with a new member of our family. Of course, that being our adopted son, Tan Man over there, Tanner. But listen, you know, as great as that trip was, uh, I will never forget the constant feeling that I always just stuck out over there, that I didn't belong over there. I was an obvious foreigner in a very foreign place. For example, I remember when we landed in Thailand, we had to go through customs and immigration. We had to to show the officer documents like this passport that I brought today. Uh, We had to show them that. We had to show them that that we were, you know, who we said we were. We had to answer questions as to why we wanted to enter into the country. Uh, I can remember when we were walking the streets in Thailand, we were surrounded not by people who looked like us or who believed in the things that we believed in or spoke the language that we spoke. Primarily, we were surrounded by Buddhists. Uh, We saw quite a few monks during our time, and they certainly spoke a language we didn't believe in and believed in something we didn't believe in either. Furthermore, I can remember uh, when we went out to eat, we could not find pizza. We could not find hamburgers, fried chicken. We couldn't find that cheese and rice that we love at El Agave, right? No, instead, all that we could find were curries, uh, rice, soup, strange, and I say very strange meats on a stick. I assure you of that. Now, listen, I will, I'm admittedly a little, being a little bit overdramatic. I'm being a preacher uh, as part of my job. In reality, Victoria and I, we had a great time, okay? We had a great time in Thailand. I mean, yes. Uh, we were definitely out of our element. Yes, we definitely stuck out. Probably me more than her. I was 6'4", and everybody else was really short. Uh, we definitely uh, saw some things that made our eyes get real big. Uh, we definitely ate some things that we'll probably never want to eat again. But regardless of that, we had a great time. We, we love to travel. Uh, we love to experience new things. We're hoping that one day we can take Tanner back to Thailand. We want to show him where he's from, and we're, we're, we're very proud of that and want to hopefully do that in the future. But you know, as we were over there, and as true as all of that is, when it got to be around, I don't know, maybe we'll say day 20. When it it got to be around day 20, the honeymoon, so to speak, had kind of worn off. uh, And I knew that we still had around 10 more days to go living in just this confined city. We were in Bangkok, we were in a hotel room, and we were just, we were ready to come home. I was beginning just to long for my country. Uh, I was longing for my American home. I was longing for my, my favorite American foods, right? That pizza and cheese dip and chicken. I was longing for my American rights, my privileges, my beliefs. 
I was longing for all of you too, by the way, in my family. I was, I was longing for all of those things. And so all I had to say, when we finally got to day 30, and when we finally flew back and got to the United States and, and went through customs and immigrations again, I was glad to show them this passport and say, hey, let me in, let me back in. I, I belong here, right? I wanted to show them of my identity to, to grant me access into the country where I belong. In fact, let me, let me just read to you the, the first page of, of this passport. And, and, and I know that most of us probably don't do this, but just hear me out here. Just listen to what it says. It says, The, Secret- the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby request all whom it may concern to permit the citizen national of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance and in case of need to give all lawful aid and protect protection. Now, church, I don't know about you, but I am thankful for the privileges and the benefits that that passport brings to me, that the passport brings to you. Again, not only does it prove my identity, my citizenship, but it allows me to, to come home from a, very foreign, from a very foreign country, and for that I'm thankful. But, but get this, get this, because this is important. When we get saved, when we get saved, when we invite Jesus into our lives, we effectively become a citizen of another place. We get another type of passport. Because we belong to another place, and that place is Where? Heaven, heaven. And so the idea is this, while we have citizenship here in America on earth, and by the way, we should be thankful for that, we at the same time should realize that our ultimate citizenship, our eternal citizenship, it's somewhere else. And that's where our heart should ultimately long to be. Okay, so to help us understand this concept this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to picture your life here on earth as a transit lounge in an airport. Okay, in other words, you're just passing through your ultimate home, your ultimate destination. It's found elsewhere. It's found in heaven. And get this, one day you're going to stand in line. You're going to stand in line. You're going to show them this spiritual passport, not to a bunch of guards like I did in Thailand. No, you're going to show it to Jesus And only if it's found in him, that passport, only if it's found in him, will Jesus grant you access into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so with that picture in mind now, let's go to our text in Philippians chapter 3, looking at what I would call the the citizenship clause of Philippians. Okay, look with me now, beginning in verse 17. Paul says these words, he says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live According to the example you have in us, for I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame and they are focused on earthly things. Now watch this. Our citizenship, though, is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition to the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject him everything to himself. Now what I want you to understand here is that for Paul to call the believers that he's talking to citizens of heaven would have been very meaningful. 
Okay, it would have been very meaningful to the believers in Philippi who he is speaking to. Because you see, though Philippi was situated 700 miles, maybe 800 miles from Rome, it was still considered to be a colony of Rome. Okay, that therefore meant that, that even though Philippi was located in Macedonia and was filled with Macedonian culture, Macedonian heritage and beliefs, the people of Philippi were expected to still give allegiance to Rome. They were still expected to uphold Roman culture, to uphold Roman heritage because they belonged to them. And so all that to say, you can probably imagine how frustrated they are about their citizenship. Uh, how defeated that they probably felt because instead of finding their own identity and autonomy and independence, they were forced to serve another kingdom and probably felt abused, mistreated, and misled. But you see, in contrast to all of that, what Paul does in this passage is he reminds us and the Philippian believers that whether you enjoy your earthly citizenship here or not, through Christ you're giving another one, a heavenly citizenship, heavenly citizenship, goodness, where there's no more brokenness and no more mistrust, no more misuse of power, but instead you're part of a kingdom that's perfect, that's holy, that, that's just. And so that's, that's the main idea that Paul is trying to get across to us here, that because we have citizenship in heaven, we're temporarily living in a colony called earth. Okay, that's, that's the metaphor that Paul's going for here. That's the word picture that he's wanting us to see in this passage. But here's the thing. While that's true, and while we find our ultimate citizenship in heaven, Paul also tells us in this passage that there is another group of people who are foreigners of heaven, yet they try to pass themselves off as citizens. In other words, they're, they're a bunch of fakes, they're, they're, they're a bunch of phonies. They're trying to somehow con their way into heaven. Now, if, if I were to read, again, this fine print of the passport, which I know no one reads the fine print of the passport, but if you were to read it, then you would come across a section in your passport that says the following. It says, It is unlawful for any person other than the original lawful recipient to use this passport. And then there's another little clause that's titled alteration or mutilation of the passport. It reads like this. It says, this passport must not be altered or mutilated in any way. Alteration could make the passport invalid and, if willful, may subject you to prosecution. Now, question for you, why do we need to put warning labels in our passports like that? I mean, why do we need to say things like that? Well, it's because... The idea is that there's only one passport per person, right? That's just how it works. Okay, for example, I can't just come up to you and say, hey, I, I want to travel to another country. Can, can I borrow your passport? Right? I mean, that would be crazy. That, that's illegal, right? That's identity theft. Yet, there are people out there who, if you let them, would do just that. They would, they would take your passport. They would probably cut out your picture, they would probably replace it with their picture. They would probably somehow, in a very sly way, change your name to their name. Now, those people are what we call crooks, right? Those people are what we call criminals. Those are what we would call to be fake citizens. And you see, I tell you all of that this morning because in a similar way, that's what Paul is telling us to be careful of in this passage. You see, all throughout this letter, Paul has continuously reminded us 
to be careful of those who pretend to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but who are actually not. Let me give you some examples. Chapter 1. Okay, Paul warns us of teachers, of evangelists who preach the gospel out of envy, out of strife, out of selfish ambition. They have terrible motives. They're pretenders. They have this other idea or other motive that they're actually going for, and it's not to be like Christ. At the beginning of chapter 3, Paul tells us, we talked about this recently, watch out for those who want to add to the gospel. He says that they're like dogs. They're like evil workers. They're like people who want to mutilate your flesh in a spiritual way. And so now at the end of chapter 3, Paul's again reminding us, watch out for these false teachers because they are, as he says in verse 18, enemies of the cross. That's how he calls them here. He's getting stronger and stronger with this language. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 7. They're like wolves in sheep's clothing. Watch out for these people. Okay, so with all that being said, now, what I want us to do today, okay, what I want us to do today, I want us to determine the distinguishing marks or the distinguishing characteristic that separate the true citizens of the kingdom of heaven from the fakes, from the phonies that try to con themselves into thinking they're a part of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we're going to be comparing these two groups of people, and through this examination, I want to, again, share with you four marks, okay, or or four characteristics that make up a heavenly citizen. That's what's going to guide our time today. So grab your notes, grab your pen, write these down. Number one is this, okay, the first distinguishing mark or characteristic of a heavenly citizen is that, number one, they live by example. That's the first mark of a heavenly citizen. They live by example, okay, for example, no pun intended, Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Now, if you remember in Philippians chapter 2, Paul fills the scripture with examples of other believers that we are to emulate, that we are to follow. For example, in that chapter, verses 5 through 11, he says, Look to Christ. He's the ultimate example of this. And in verses 19 through 24, he says, look to Timothy as an example. Verses 25 through 30, he says, look to Epaphroditus. He's an example. And now as we come to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul again reminds us, look at these people as examples of the Christian faith. And he also adds himself now to that list. Because Paul is an experienced Christian. He's a seasoned believer. Now, now question for you, why, why is Paul doing all of this? I mean, why give us all these great examples of believers who embody what it means to be a Christian? Why do that? Is is it because he wants us to pick our favorite one and put it up on a poster right next to Michael Jordan or LeBron James in our room? Well, well, no. I mean, certainly he wants us to be inspired by them, but, but, but he also, in addition to that, is joining us. He's encouraging us. He said, hey, don't just look at these examples. Be one of these examples. That's what he's saying here. Okay? Did you see the analogy last, that we used last week? He's urging us. He's saying, hey, buddy, get off the sidelines. Get off the bleachers. It's good to look at an example for a while, but at some point, get your bottom off the bleacher, off your chair, and start running the race for Christ because that is a mark 
of a heavenly citizen. That is a distinguishing feature or, or characteristic of a heavenly citizen. Okay, so that's the main idea here, to, to live by example, to, to, to be an invitation for others to follow. Because that's, that's one of the things that, that really separates us from a fake citizen, right? From a, from a phony citizen. Okay, I'll, I'll just put it like this. A, a true believer doesn't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Okay, at the end of the day, that's just how you can just sum it up. A true believer doesn't just say all the right things, but they do the right things. They strive to do the right things. They live by example. They, they get their hands dirty. They get involved in the community of faith, which is the church. They run the race for Christ. But now, I want you to notice something else here, because I think this verse goes even deeper than that. For example, look, look at who, again, Paul is addressing in verse 17. He, he isn't just speaking to one believer in Philippi. No, he's speaking to the what? The brothers and sisters in Philippi. That's what he says. In other words, that's Paul's way of saying that, that he's kind of commanding all Christians to live by example and to run alongside each other. And I think that's important to understand because we need that. We need that. Sometimes the road can get hard to run, can it not? Sometimes the road can grow tiring. Sometimes that road that we're running can grow weary and so in those moments especially we need other christians by our side to encourage us to to pour into us and to support us to keep running the race okay so just to put this in one concise statement now i think we can sum it up by this not only should we be examples of the christian faith but we should also in addition to that be encouragers of the christian faith in other words, yes, we run the race. We live by example, but we also encourage other believers and we run alongside them in Christian fellowship and in community. All right, so living by example, it's the first mark of a heavenly citizen. Number two now, okay, Paul's going to keep going. He's going to give us another mark to look for, and that is this. A heavenly citizen looks out for pretenders. Okay, a heavenly citizen looks out for Pretenders, look at verse 18 now as Paul shows us this by saying these words. He says, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. In other words, that's who we need to be looking out for. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Okay, so the idea is this. Not everyone within the borders of a country are citizens. Okay, for example, these people can blend in. These people can try to look like everyone else looks. But at the end of the day, they're not true citizens. They're not loyal citizens. In fact, oftentimes they're hostile to true citizens. Right? Every, every country has these, and, and they're a big pest. They're, they're a big problem. So, so what Paul is getting at here is that spiritually speaking... He knows that there are people who have secretly or at least trying to infiltrate the church with the intent not to unify it, but to disrupt it, to distort the true message of the gospel that they're trying to preach. Now, now, now Paul makes mention here, and this is important, that, that he has warned the Philippian believers of this already. He okay, probably has already mentioned it to them when he actually visited Philippi years prior. Uh, we know that twice in this letter, Paul's made mention of these false teachers. But what I want you to notice, now listen to this, is that for Paul, 
this reality of Christian pretenders infiltrating the church and its teaching, it brought him to tears. Do you see where it says that? It says, it brought me to tears. I'm making that a big deal because what is this book about? Say it, one word, joy. This book can be summed up as joy. 16 times Paul uses the word joy or rejoice, and he has demonstrated over and over again as we've gone through this letter. Paul finds joy even in the midst of darkness. But now Paul says, I have been brought to tears. I've been brought to tears. Why? Well, it's not because he's holding a pity party for himself. I mean, Paul could have already done that. He's in chains. He had every chance to do that, but not one time is that recorded. No one said it's because he realizes the potential outcome from these false teachers. He realizes that it could be catastrophic. And for that, he sheds tears over the church. He sheds tears over God's people because he knows what could happen. So what Paul is telling us and the Philippian believers to do right here is, is to look out. Look out for these false prophets. Look out for these false teachers. He's warning us by saying they're fake citizens of the kingdom of God and are actually, as he says in verse 10 again, enemies of the cross. Okay, They may come to church on Sundays. They may sing the songs. They may come to the Bible studies, but they're actually unbelievers in disguise. So we need to be on guard. We need to, we need to watch out for him. That's, that's the main idea. That's the, that's the main principle. But listen, well, I think that's probably the main implication Paul wants us to see. I want you to look at this verse from another angle for a moment because I think there's actually two sides of this coin and they're both very important. You see, while Paul could make the argument that Paul is shedding tears over the fact that these unbelievers are maybe trying to infiltrate the church, trying to disrupt the teachings, the unity, and by the way, I think that's certainly part of the grief here, okay? But you could also make this argument that Paul is shedding tears over these unbelievers, that he's actually shedding tears over their lostness, over their disunderstanding of the gospel, over their, their lack of faith when it comes to believing in the things that they actually need to believe in. Okay, the reason why I think that that's probably true to a degree is because we can just look at Paul's life. right? All throughout Paul's life, yes, he trains up believers. Yes, he disciples believers, but we also see him time and time again reaching out to unbelievers. Again, enemies of the cross. Why? Because he has a desire to share the gospel with them. He wants to convert them to the true Christian faith. And so my point to you this morning is this. Are these hostile unbelievers and false teachers among us? Well, yes. Do they believe in something other than the pure, undefiled gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, yes. Are are they fake and phony citizens of the kingdom of God? Well, well, yes. Are they not only in the church of Philippi, but they, are they also in our churches today? Well, yes. Do we need to be watching closely for them, looking out for them? Yes, but get this. While we should be watching out for them, we should also at the same time be reaching out to them as well. Because if they place their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, then they too can be saved. They too can become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, just as we have experienced. Okay, let me give you a great example of this. At least I think it is. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's not going to be up on the screen, and you can turn there if you want, but just listen if, if you'd rather. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says in verse 9, he says this. He says, don't you know? Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. But now listen to what he says in the very next verse. Verse 11. And some of you used to be like this. And some of you used to be like that. Question, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about anyone who has been saved. And to reinforce this, listen to what he says next in verse 11. But, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What's my point? My point is this. If you are a believer today, then that means at some point you were, listen to this, an enemy of the cross. That's how Paul puts it. You were an enemy of, just let that sink in. You were an enemy of the cross. You were an unbeliever at one time. You didn't believe in the gospel like you do now. In fact, I'm going to guess that you lived a life that was hostile towards God, hostile towards the gospel. Yet, if I were to guess, I would imagine that the church played a pivotal role in your conversion, didn't it? They didn't kick you out. They didn't say, well, you can't come in here. You don't believe what I believe. Then they welcomed you in. They shared the gospel with you in the hopes that you might repent of your sins and believe, and through the grace of God, you did. Now listen, in saying that, I'm not suggesting this morning that we should let unbelievers teach a Bible study at this church. That's not not good. That's wrong. It's It's not wise. I'm not suggesting that we should let an unbeliever become a formal member of this church. That's also not biblical. Okay, again, we need to be on guard against these things. We need to be looking out for these people because they could be, they, could, they have the potential to be detrimental to our church. Okay, they have that ability, but what I am saying this morning is that we should harness that same level of emotion, of zeal, and passion to protect our church, and we should use it to reach out beyond our church to the lost people so that they too might become saved so that they too might experience the same love and grace that we did when we were enemies of the cross, so that they might become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so a heavenly citizen, they live by example, and that they don't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk. Number two, they, they look out for pretenders in two different ways. They're protecting the church, right, from false doctrine, from false teaching, but they're also reaching out, they're welcoming them in. And now number three, a heavenly citizen longs for a place. Third more, a heavenly citizen longs for a place. Look at verse 20 now as Paul says these words. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is really the heart of the passage. This is really just the, the, the climax, if you will, of, of this whole passage. The first thing I want you to notice is the stark contrast that Paul uses with this verse and the verses that precede it. For example, at the end of verse 19, look at what he says. He says, these pretenders, they focus their mind on what? 
earthly things. That's what he says at the end of verse 19. But then Paul says right after that, verse 20, a true believer, they set their minds on what? Heavenly things. And guess what? They eagerly wait to get there. They eagerly wait. That's what he says. Okay, now let me just refresh your memory on something. When Paul opened up this letter, he noted that the Philippian believers had two addresses. Okay, they had a physical address, number one, and then number two, they had a spiritual address. Okay, for example, if you want to look at it, you can. Uh, The very first verse in the very first chapter of this letter, Paul says, to all the saints who are in what? Philippi, okay, physical address, and who are in Christ Jesus. That's their spiritual address. Okay, so we could apply that and say, as believers, we have a physical address, New Albany, but we also have a spiritual address. We're in Christ. And get this, because you have a spiritual address, you also have an eventual address. And that eventual address is mentioned here in Philippians. Where? Heaven. Heaven, that's our ultimate home. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Well, what I want you to understand is that as believers, we should be excited about heaven. When we sing that song, when we all get to heaven, it shouldn't be, when we all get to heaven, when we all, you know, I mean, that's how we should be singing. Let that be convicting, okay? You need to be on stage next Sunday and just really getting after it. No, I'm picking. We should be excited about heaven, though. Not only should we be excited about heaven, I believe that our thoughts, that our minds should be preoccupied with heaven. Why? Because that's our citizenship. Again, verse 20, Paul says, Our citizenship, we need to get this in our heads, is not on earth. It's not there. It's in heaven. We should long for that place. We're not there yet. We should be excited about that place. Wow, we're going to be with our God. We're going to be with our Lord. We're going to be with our Savior. Now, in looking at verse 20, I want you to especially notice something. And the word is this, citizenship. Okay, underline that. That's a very important word. I know I've already talked about it, but let me talk about it a little bit more. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is the only place in the New Testament where Paul uses this word in this manner. Okay, the word citizenship is the word polituma. Say that word, polituma. Okay, you're learning Greek. Look at you. The word citizenship in the Greek is polituma. It's where we get the word politics. You hear the the similarity? Polituma, politics. It's also where we get the word political affiliation. Okay? Listen to this. If that's true, it is, then that means we could read this verse by saying this. Our politics or not on earth, but in heaven. Our political affiliation is in heaven. See, I point that out to you today because I've noticed that politics has a way of dividing people. It just does. It just does. I can take a room full of believers like this, and we can have unity in our song service, As long as I'm not preaching heresy, we can have unity in the sermon. We can have unity in our small talk, in our fellowship. But let me tell you something. If I brought up a controversial or heated political 
issue, it would disrupt that unity quickly. You'd have people on that side, you'd have people on that side, and I just have to wonder, is that God's desire for his children to be like that? Now listen, I I am not saying, I am not saying that we shouldn't give careful thought and consideration about politics and political issues. I'm not saying that we shouldn't watch the news, that we shouldn't stay informed. I'm certainly not saying that we shouldn't vote. I believe that we should exercise our right to do all of those things. But what I am saying this morning is that if our citizenship is not found in this world but in heaven, then maybe, just maybe, it's God's desire for us to be far less political and far more spiritual in our lives and in our thinking. And so listen, as for me, and please understand, I am only referring to myself here. I am not endorsing this or saying you should, but as for me, I am not quick to label myself as a Republican. I am not quick to label myself as a Democrat. I am what I would call as a theocrat, okay? Because I believe the only hope for this world is when Jesus comes back and rules everyone and everything. That's my ultimate hope. That's, that's it for me. That's my, that's my political affiliation. My political views, they're based upon Scripture. They're based upon the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because that's where, I'm, that's where I belong. I'm a citizen there. Okay, so I, I'm not going to put my political affiliation in a party or in a president, but I'm going to put it in the Son of God because I belong to him and he lives in me. Listen, I, I know that's a touchy area, I know pastors are, are kind of scared to talk about politics, and I'm not going to lie, I was terrified to say that, but I felt compelled to, so I did. I'm not going to pretend that I have it all figured out. I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly just what you should do. I, I don't. I'm trying to work this out, too. Okay, it's, it's a very complicated, complex, convoluted issue, but I'm just saying based upon this passage, based upon my knowledge, at least of the Scriptures, I believe that our minds should be fixated on our eternal home and our eternal citizenship, which is in heaven. We should be excited about that place. That should give us motivation, not just as a destination, but motivation to live a holy life. That we long to be with our Savior and Lord in heaven. And I believe that if you do that, if you truly feel that way, then it will be a mark or it will act as proof that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Lastly, Paul gives us one more, one more distinguishing characteristic, and then we'll be done. One more. And that's this. A heavenly citizen looks forward to glory. A heavenly citizen looks forward to glory. Look with me one last time at our text in verse 21. Paul says this. He says, He, that being Jesus will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. I must say, I am thankful that Paul put this at the very end of all of this. Because it's just like like icing on the cake for me when I read it. Paul's saying, listen, not only are you going to go to heaven, but you're going to go to heaven in style, buddy. You're going to experience an upgrade. A promotion, if you will. You're going to have a a resurrected, glorious body in heaven. You you know, know, poll after poll 
has shown that the number one thing that most people say they want to change in their lives is this, their bodily appearance. Appearance. So most people say on polls, well, what can you change about your life? Well, I'd like to change something about my bodily appearance. Some would say, I want to be taller. Some say, I want to be shorter. Some say, I want to be fitter. Some say, I don't want to have any more wrinkles, or I just want to have hair grow on my head again. But you see, if, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, then what I want you to understand today is that one day your dream is going to come true. It's going to come true. You're going to receive a resurrected and glorified body that's better than any facelift. It's better than any skin cream, ladies. It's better than any Botox, better than any diet program out there. And get this, it's all free of charge. Free of charge, no strings attached. Why? Jesus paid for it in full when he died for you on the cross, when you became a citizen of his kingdom. Isn't that comforting to know? It's comforting for me to know. Now, I want you to notice the wording that Paul uses right here. Again, he says, he will transform the body of our humble condition. He will transform the body of our humble condition. That's just a nice way of saying, and some translations say it this way, your body, it's lowly right now. It's lowly. In fact, King James Version just nails it. I love the language sometimes that version of the Bible uses. It says this. It says, who shall change our, our vile body? That's the kind of body you have right now. Apparently, it's vile. Okay, so our bodies right now, they're flawed. They're weak. They're frail. I was on my feet all day yesterday playing disc golf. By the way, I won. <laughs> just making sure you all are paying attention. I'm sore this morning, and I'm 31. That's terrible. Our bodies right now are weak. Okay, but, but, but notice that word transform in verse 21. Again, Paul says, Christ will transform the body of our humble, lowly, and vile condition into the like of his glorious, his magnificent, his wonderful body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Church, if that does not excite you this morning, then check your pulse. What Paul is saying here is that one day when Christ returns, when the rapture takes place, when he gathers his people, he's going to quite literally transform our bodies to look like his. So instead of having a humble body, we're going to have a glorious body. Instead of having a, a lowly body, we're going to have a magnificent body. Instead of having a vile body, we're going to have a wonderful body. Because we're going to have receive a body that's no longer susceptible to cancer, to disease, to aches, to pains, to, to gaining weight, to getting wrinkles, to, to losing our hair. Your body's never going to sag again. Let it sink in. Not really. Don't sag. It's never going to droop again. Why? Your body's going to be transformed one day. It's going to be glorified one day. It is a guaranteed perk, a guaranteed promotion for every citizen that belongs to the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. I want to close with sharing uh, a quote with you from the great Benjamin Franklin. Uh, before he passed away, he apparently was quite the writer. 
and uh, he wanted to write some words that kind of talked about his life. I believe he wrote these words right before he passed away. And I want you to listen to him because I just feel like it gives a great commentary to that last verse we looked at. And he writes it way more elegant than I could. But listen to what he says. He says, The body of Ben Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. Yet the work itself shall not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, corrected and improved by the author. Isn't that good? First of all, I just want you to know that your body right now, I understand some of you, it may be full of aches and pains, some more than others. One day, one day though, you're going to be like Benjamin Franklin. You're going to receive a new body that's perfect, it's glorified in Christ if you are a citizen of his kingdom. And so with that truth, let's live by example. Let's look out for pretenders. Let's look up for our Savior and Lord, for him to return. Final question. Final question. Are you a citizen of this kingdom? Are you a citizen of this kingdom? Are you sure your faith is personally put, not in yourself, not in me or anyone else, but solely in Christ, in Christ alone? Can you think of a time where you have distinctively asked Jesus into your heart, into your lives? Let me ask it like this. When you stand before the gates of heaven, and you will one day, when you stand before the gates of heaven, Will your passport show that you are a citizen of the kingdom there? Will your passport be stamped with the blood of Jesus? And will he welcome you into his kingdom or will he not? Listen, if he won't or you haven't made that decision, I want you to know we can take care of that right now. We can swear you into that kingdom right now if That's your desire, and I pray that it is. Let's pray.